0: This is uh, PHK Theory 1, Unit 4, Part 1. You won't be able to scan. I'm already here yeah. Yeah. later. Yeah. Uh, so uh, let's talk about airway anatomy. Uh, you guys have gone over airway management in the lab, and so let's um, backtrack a little bit and off some of the theory so uh, what's the purpose of the airway obviously to conduct air to the lungs for gas exchange but also to warm filter and humidify air particularly uh, through the nose so um, the nasopharynx I don't think we need to go through the anatomy so much but you can review this and um, uh, but the nose is quite vascular uh, and uh, which doesn't pose a risk f- for inserting a nasopharyngeal airway but inserting a larger tube, if you're working with an advanced care paramedic and they do a nasotracheal intubation, it's much—it's a much larger tube and it's quite stiff, and um, it can cause an epistaxis. Uh, you know what an epistaxis is? It's a nosebleed. So that's the medical term for. Honestly, sometimes I don't know how first-year students get through the first semester. There's so much medical terminology to remember. It's just. Mind-boggling. So it's just a matter of going through it over and over again. But <coughs> um, I'll repeat things. Yeah, epistaxis. Ep- ep- epistaxis. Epistaxis or epistaxis. epis. Epis. E P I S. Epistaxis. Yeah. So um, the uh, in anatomically, uh, one of the things that's important to know is that the the floor of the nose is flat. So when you're inserting a, a nasopharyngeal airway, it's, um, you're not inserting it up like a curve, you're inserting it straight in. So if you were to take your baby finger and shove it into your nose, you'd find that the floor of the nose is actually flat. Not, I wouldn't recommend doing that. But um, when you're inserting an NPA, yeah, just go straight, straight in, not up and around. <coughs> Try up and around, it might get caught on something. Um, and uh, so the tissues are delicate and they're fairly vascular, but I wouldn't worry about an epistaxis with a, uh, a nasal pharyngeal airway. But you're going to make sure before you stick a nasal airway in that the patient doesn't have a broken nose, that they don't have uh, bleeding in their nose already. If they've got blood in their nares, their nose, uh, then I would avoid putting <coughs> an NPA in. That's uh, maybe traumatized. So the oropharynx. Um, contains uh, the oropharynx is the mouth basically in the back of the back of the throat contains the teeth, the tongue, um, uh, which is attached to the hyoid bone. And the hyoid bone I think is in trivial pursuit. It's the only bone that doesn't attach to any other um, uh, bone. It's not connected to any other bone in any other way. Um, and the tongue, as we've talked about before is the most common um, cause of obstruction in the airway in someone who's got a decreased level of consciousness. Um, there's a palate which is the roof of the mouth which separates the oral and the nasopharynx. pharynx and uh, the anterior portion is hard, the, the posterior portion is soft. And um, a couple of things about the anatomy uh, you should be familiar with. So in in kids, this is not an issue for, uh, for you so much but um, Uh, The adenoids are in the back of the nasopharynx and they're highly vascular um, and it's not an issue inserting a nasopharyngeal airway in, but if you're working with an advanced care paramedic who's inserting a nasotracheal tube, um, nasotracheal tubes are contraindicated in kids under the age of eight because their adenoids are quite prominent and they shrink with age. Uh, It's a common source of infection. Um, The epiglottis is located here at the base of the tongue and the epiglottis Uh, closes over the trachea when we swallow and it does that quite efficiently Um, with the exception of when we're eating talking laughing and drunk Um, (laughs) that's that's when people get into trouble oftentimes and end up uh, aspirating food into their trachea and end up choking so otherwise the epiglottis is quite uh, effective. This space, just for your interest, um, this space here between the tongue and the epiglottis is called the vallecula, the, uh, uh, and um, it's a, a pocket form between the tongue and the, and the epiglottis. And when you're working with an advanced care paramedic, and I'll mention advanced care paramedics sort of a program because you'll typically be working with them uh, when you're uh, working in an urban area. When they do laryngoscopy, in other words, uh, they insert a blade like this, They in- typically with adults they'll insert it into the molecula and lift the tongue up so they can see the vocal cords to get a tube into uh, into the trachea. That's the molecular. So. This is what the nose looks like these are the nares Um, and this the purpose of this picture was to show the adenoids before uh, and after surgical removal but um, I threw this picture in because two things one I wanted to show you that the floor of the nose is flat right so when we're inserting a a nasopharyngeal airway it goes straight in and number two these ridges here are called the turbinates and uh, the turbinates create um, uh, turbulent airflow so that when you breathe in through your nose um, the the turbinates are highly vascular they they are mucous membranes they contain cilia which are fine like hair structures that trap debris and and then we get rid of that debris either through sneezing or or blowing our nose and um, um, in order to trap debris particulate matter you need to create turbulent airflow, so that's the purpose of the turbinates. The, the flip side, the downside to having turbinates is, uh, as I say, if you're working with advanced care paramedic and they're inserting a large nasotracheal tube, um, it usually gets caught up in the turbinates, and you have to gently coax the tube past the turbinates. You can actually feel the turbinates with a big tube. You won't feel it with a nasopharyngeal airway, so it's not an issue for you, but uh, uh, it's a bit of an issue. Otherwise, <coughs> uh, uh, the un- I would just, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to say about the anatomy here. So, the uvula, you're familiar with the uvula? It's that thing that dangles down the back of your throat. I'm not entirely sure what purpose it serves, but uh, um, it's, um, oops. So I'm just thinking of kind of a funny call I did years ago uh, where we had a, a guy who um, was rock climbing and he fell and he had a head injury. And uh, I tried to uh, nasally intubate him. So I put a tube in his nose and um, I wasn't able to get the, the tube in on the first try. So I took a laryngoscope and I opened his mouth and we have a set of McGill forceps. There are these long forceps. And what I planned to do was to um, scope him, grab the tube, and advance it through the vocal cords with these McGill forceps. And I was having trouble advancing it. And then I realized that I was, I'd was i grabbed onto the uvula and was stretching it. So uh, once I realized what I'd done, I, I let go of the uvula, and I was able to advance the tube. But we got to the trauma center, and I explained to the ER docs, I said, you if his uvula uh, looks unusually swollen or large this is why <laughs> this is what I did the docs thought it was hysterical <laughs> I'd never heard of anyone doing that um, so this is the pharynx here at the back of the throat this is the the larynx here this area here with the thyroid cartilage the Adam's apple and um, what else do I want to mention here um, mm-hmm. This this back part of the mouth here is referred to as the hypopharynx. The hypopharynx, and um, um, one of the reasons why. um, So, uh, you tell me, uh, why would you insert a nasopharyngeal airway instead of an oral pharyngeal airway? They're getting sick. Sorry, they're getting sick. Yeah. Like vomiting. Mm -hmm. Uh, That might be one reason. Yeah. They have a gag reflex as a primary reason or they've got a diminished level of consciousness that's likely going to correct itself or is reversible. So, for example, if you had an opioid overdose and an unprotected airway, um, you might put a nasopharyngeal airway in um, and then give them Narcan to reverse the opioid um, for the reason that They don't have a gag reflex now, but the gag reflex is going to be restored and having an OPA in is going to elicit a gag reflex. Having a nasopharyngeal airway, because it sits on the posterior wall of the hypopharynx, it tends not to elicit a gag reflex to the same extent or may not elicit a gag reflex at all. So nasopharyngeal airway is good for someone who has diminished level of consciousness, but you know they're going to improve. So another example would be someone who has a seizure Uh, Typically, after a seizure, they they enter what they call a post-ictal phase. And post-ictal, they have um, just a diminished level of consciousness, and over time, they start to regain consciousness. So they might not have a gag reflex initially after the seizure, but over time, they'll start to improve neurologically, and they'll have a gag reflex. And so a nasopharyngeal airway is a a good alternative to an OPA uh, for someone who's got a temporary diminished level of consciousness. So post-seizure, opioid overdose that you're gonna reverse, hypoglycemia that you're gonna reverse with dextrose, um, those sorts of things, examples. Um, So the larynx, um, so the hyoid bone is right here and um, it's a uh, horseshoe-shaped bone slash cartilage. And it's the only bone that doesn't articulate with any other bone, that's a trivial pursuit question. Uh, yeah. Sorry, um, is dextrose that D50W? D50W, yeah. It is? Well, it could be D50 or D10, or... It's dextrose in water, basically. Uh, sugar water. Sugar water, yeah. Uh, the thyroid cartilage is your Adam's apple, and... Um, it's the first tracheal cartilage, and, um, and if you look below the, um, the thyroid cartilage, where am I here? So the, below the thyroid cartilage is a cricoid cartilage, which is a complete ring, and uh, below that are the tracheal rings, and the tracheal rings are semi-lunar, so they go, they go around the front, uh, but they don't go all the way around the back, so the back of the trachea is soft, and as a consequence, in children in particular, children can obstruct their airway by getting something caught in their esophagus. Uh, it would be really unusual for that to happen in an adult, although there's an episode of uh, CSI, the original CSI, where a guy swallows, a, I think it's a cue ball. The cue ball, the eight ball, one of, one of those two balls is slightly larger. Is it the cue ball? Yeah. So he swallows a cue ball. So. His, his party trick at bars is to, to swallow uh, a, a billiard ball and then bring it back up again, but he swallows a cue ball and it gets stuck in his esophagus and it compresses the posterior wall of his trachea and obstructs his airway and he asphyxiates and dies. Right? So um, I don't know how you would remove that. I don't think you could. I mean, something smaller you could probably remove. And, uh, um, Heimlich maneuver is not going to work on, uh, on something that's obstructing the esophagus, right? Because the idea with, a, with abdominal thrust is to expel any air in the lungs to push out whatever is obstructing the trachea. But if it's caught in the esophagus, you're pooched. Uh, so a small child, for example, could swallow a gumball and it would get stuck in their esophagus, right, and compress the posterior wall of the trachea. Uh, one of the things you're going to find um, as a paramedic is... You're going to get a little paranoid as a parent because uh, you're going to see the worst of the worst uh, you know, and the most unusual uh, types of injuries and illnesses. And so uh, you when know, my daughter was younger, and we go to the Mandarin, and, and you leave the Mandarin, and they come at you with these candies, these mints. It's like, are you trying to kill my child? Like, no, back away, back away. And my daughter's going, you no. Know? I'm saying no, you airway obstructing killer. <laughs> uh, the chances—I mean, the chances—are truly remote. But uh, I'm sure I've damaged my poor daughter from my paranoia. Uh, so the glottic opening refers to the vocal cords, and uh, so—and it's uh, oops directly behind the Adam's apple. So this is what the larynx looks like. This is uh, the anterior view or the front view. It's the epiglottis here, the hyoid bone here, uh, the thyroid cartilage or your Adam's apple, the cricoid cartilage which completely encircles the trachea. And uh, this is the cricothyroid membrane. So uh, on extraordinarily rare occasions, uh, an advanced care paramedic may insert a needle through the cricothyroid ligament ligament rather uh, needle cricothyrotomy to secure the airway if they 're not able to secure an airway in any by any other means. excuse me, and then the rings let 's talk about that so um, there 's a maneuver called the celic maneuver, and some medics may ask you to do that for them. ACPs will ask you to do that for them if they 're Trying to put a tube in the trachea and the Sellick maneuver uh, is simply uh, and it's a little bit of an outdated maneuver but it's a maneuver where um, i've got a laryngoscope i've got it in the patient's mouth i'm lifting the tongue up to try to visualize the cords but the cords are too anterior so i'll ask you to put your fingers on the cricoid cartilage and push down and that drives the vocal cords posterior so i can see them the other thing it does is it compresses the esophagus to prevent the patient from vomiting or regurgitating. Right? And sometimes you'll get patients who are in cardiac arrest and um, uh, when you're ventilating them, if, if not all the air goes into the lungs, some of the air goes into the stomach, the stomach starts to inflate and uh, then they regurgitate. So it's dead people don't vomit, they regurgitate, uh, much like a you know, baby regurgitates. And so it's essentially gastric content coming up. And uh, so Selleck Maneuver compresses the esophagus and prevents uh, you know, them from erupting like Dante's Peak. And of course, if you're trying to secure an airway and they're vomiting, there's a risk that they may aspirate that vomitus into their trachea, which is you don't want to have happen. Now, y- you've talked about suctioning, oral, oral airway suctioning and clearing the airway. Um, They probably told you this, but um, in the event that you have someone lying on their back and they start to vomit, your best bet is to turn them over their side quickly and then suction them uh, because chances are you're not going to be able to suction everything out if lying on their back. And if you leave them lying on their back, there's a risk they're going to aspirate gastric content. So my advice is is, um, if you're worried about their C-spine, T-spine, L-spine, but they're on their back and they've got a diminished level of consciousness and they're unconscious, always sort of plan in your head what you're gonna do if they vomit. And and that means turning them over. So ideally, you know, turning them over as a unit so someone's holding the head while you turn their whole body over and then suction suction the airway out. But you've gotta have the suction air with you and you've gotta be sort of mentally prepared for that event. Uh, What else? This is a posterior view So again, up top is the, uh, there we go, epiglottis. And uh, I gave you the posterior view because I just wanted to show you the tracheal rings, how they're not fully circular. They leave the back wall of the trachea unprotected. And you might think, well, that's an odd design. You know, why wouldn't you just design uh, why wouldn't the body design itself such that the tracheal rings are fully uh, incirc- encircling, circular, uh, to protect the trachea? And I think the reason is probably uh, that when you're swallowing food, it it goes down the esophagus by peristalsis, so it goes in waves. So the the esophagus is basically collapsed on itself, and food enters, and you know the. Wherever the food is, the, the esophagus opens and then closes behind it. And so the semicircular nature of the tracheal rings is probably uh, to accommodate that peristaltic movement down the esophagus. Okay. Makes sense? I wonder what it would feel like to swallow something if you had um, tracheal rings that went all the way around. I wonder if you'd feel like bumps, like going down ridges on the way down. Interesting. and it's not to suggest that uh, the human body is a perfect design Uh, definitely not by all means there are lots and lots of flaws and when we talk about um, loops and feedback mechanisms um, you're going to learn that um, the body has a lot of significant flaws that we compensate for with uh, medications and procedures so here's a view of the glottis or the vocal cords the vocal cords um, have a whitish color and uh, So you can see the epiglottis here, this is the tongue, and so the space between the tongue is called the vollecula. Over here, just for your interest, is the piriform fossa. And um, there are lots of different things that can obstruct obstruct the airway, foreign bodies, um, swelling from croup, epiglottitis, uh, burns, can cause swelling in the airway, can compromise the airway. Uh, the most bizarre airway compromise I've ever seen in my life was um, two 19 uh, year old ladies who were drinking uh, uh, margaritas in the backyard and uh, one of the girls uh, screamed at her girlfriend not to take a drink because an earwig had fallen from the umbrella into her drink. And she took a drink and it got caught in her piriform fossa in the corner. and. Uh, she coughed for about an hour. So it was stuck in this little pocket right here. Well, it's actually the left side. He was caught in this little pocket right here, right? And earwigs, uh, I guess their legs have little barbs in them. And so it was stuck and it couldn't get out. And um, so she coughed for an hour and her girlfriend called 911. And um, she uh, begged me to take a look down there to, to try to get it out and um, she said she looked in the mirror with her mouth wide open and she could see it moving and um, so uh, y- y- you don't really want to insert a laryngoscope blade into someone's mouth when they're conscious but i said okay i'll, I'll have a look but I'm, um, i explained what the device was i said i'm not going to go too deep with this i'm just going to uh, place it halfway along your tongue and lift your tongue up a little bit and try to have a look. Uh, but I'm not gonna go beyond that because there's a risk that you might gag and vomit and that's just gonna complicate things. So I had a look. I couldn't see anything. Um, and I said, okay, I'm gonna try suctioning. So I, And again, you shouldn't normally do this, but uh, I, I, she said, it's, I'm, it's over here. And I said, okay. So I put the suction down there, uh, didn't get anything. But when I pulled it out, there was a little black uh, piece on the tip of the, uh, yank our suction tip looked like a leg or something. I don't know. But anyway, so, um, so she was, uh, having difficulty breathing at this point. She was uh, not, well, not so much difficulty breathing, but she was, her voice was hoarse cause she'd been coughing so much and, uh, uh, she was bordering on Strider, which is, uh, you know, kind of a high pitched sound. She wasn't quite there yet. So I was concerned about her airway. So we took her to the hospital and, um, if you got someone with, with airway compromise, that we usually assign them um, Canadian triage acuity scale of two. So, so uh, have you talked about CTAS at all? No. no, okay. Well, we'll talk about CTAS in more in detail later, but um, so we categorize patients CTAS one through five. One is life-threatening, it's gotta be dealt with uh, right away. Two has got to be dealt with quickly, like in the next 15 minutes or so. Three is what most patients you transport to the hospital are on a three. Five is shouldn't have even called an ambulance. Um, uh, four probably shouldn't have called an ambulance either. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we took her in and I t- spoke to the triage nurse and I assigned her a CTAS-3. And the nurse just looked at me like, you're some kind of an idiot. You're like, that's not a CTAS-3. She can go out in the waiting room. She's a CTAS-5. So they put her out in the waiting room. I came back into the hospital later. They had her in the resuscitation room. They were sedating her, and ENT was coming down uh, because her airway had obstructed. So she was now like a CTAS-1, CTAS-2. So I just looked at the triage nurse like, yeah. Not a rookie, you know. <laughs> so. Um, <clears throat> Anyway, that's my pure fossa um, story. Um, when uh, that's gross, eh? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I've got lots of haunting images. I'm going to share a few, and you're just going to have to suck I need it up. To and see and some of the ones. <coughs> What's that? I think I I, I need to see the good ones before I see a kid one. So if you have oh, images? One, yeah. Yeah. I don't have many images. So, uh, but if I think of any. Maybe I'll throw them in. But you know what? You wanna see kid injuries or something, just go on the internet, like knock yourself out. <laughs> uh but just be careful uh not to I spend too much time on there. I went Flags so that they keep coming up and showing me like how the all the ads and stuff. You know, like you start yeah. searching
1: something yeah, and yeah.
0: you'll see it all the time. Oh, God, like yeah, <laughs> exactly. I did a uh one of my students like many years ago told me about a site called BloodyGore.com, and I went there and honestly after about a half an hour of uh, going through that site I thought I was gonna be sick it was worse it was worse in real life so I wouldn't spend too much time looking at gory images Um, and it's easier to deal with gory injuries when you're focused on assessing and treating people than it is just staring at it trust me so if you look at awful stuff and you think, I don't know if I can take this, you'll be fine because you'll be busy. <coughs> so um, the narrowest part of the airway in the adult is the vocal cords. They have this white appearance. Um, these little things here, these bumps here are called the arytenoid cartilages. And um, when your ACP partner intubates the patient, they look for the cords. And if they can't see the cords, they look for the arytenoids. And if they can see the arytenoids, they just aim the tube above it. Uh, to get through the cords. Your cords uh, come close together when you're um, taking a breath in, and then they spread apart when you exhale. They do this. I had a patient once, a uh, head injured patient who was unconscious, and he was tachypneic, meaning he, had a, he was breathing really fast, tachypneic. And um, his vocal cords were actually making a clicking sound. When I did laryngoscopy, I could see his cords snapping together and they were clicking. It's the wildest thing I've ever seen. Well, maybe not the wildest, but it was it uh, <laughs> it was uh, it was up there in the 5%, top 5% of wildest things I've ever seen. So uh, uh, what else? Uh, so the vocal cords obviously are, are necessary for producing your voice. So just on the topic of vocal cords, um, when we look at different airways uh, that can be inserted into the airway. Um, we we want to be careful that we're not choosing a, an airway that can potentially go through the cords and damage the cords. Uh, many many years ago, there was this tube called an esophageal obturator airway, and it was uh, touted as like the the perfect magical airway because you just insert it blindly and. If it goes in the esophagus, you can tell there's a way to test to see that it's in the esophagus and you inflate one balloon. If it goes into the trachea, you can tell it's in the trachea by this assessment technique and you uh, inflate the other balloon. But the trouble with the esophageal operator airway, and I saw it years ago and I said, no way will we ever carry this thing. It, it was a really big tube and it was a really stiff tube And I thought, if that thing ever goes through the vocal cords, it's going to tear the vocal cords. And you tear the vocal cords, and that person's never going to talk the same way again. And um, many years ago, uh, at about that time, there was an actor by the name of Jan Michael Vincent, who was was a a police pilot in a show called Airwolf. And he flew this really cool-looking Bell 222 helicopter um, anyway he crashed his motorcycle and some paramedic crew came along and stuck in a, um, an esophageal obturator tube and it went through his cords and it tore his cords and he was never able to speak again the same way people could barely understand him so he sued the paramedics and, and uh, won his case and um, so um, bottom line is uh, you know when you're looking at uh, airway tools um, a, a superglottic airway would I- I be ideally be a tube that's not gonna go through the cords, that's gonna sit above the cords and it's not likely to damage the cords. So, you know, we have the OPA, which is safe. It sits above the cords. We have the, the IGL. I think Duane has ordered some IGLs, That's the latest airway that a lot of paramedic services are using now. And I think we're gonna move to the IGEL. Um, have you got an IGL in the lab yet? No, okay. Uh, And there's the King LT. uh, And the King LT should sit just above the cords or close to the cords, um, but it's a fairly safe tool as long as you choose the the correct size. In terms of airway positioning, so this is the important part. So um, when a person's got uh, an obstructed airway because they're unconscious and the tongue's falling in the back of the throat, uh, there are a couple of ways we're, we're gonna open the airway. One is just a head tilt, chin lift. The other is a modified jaw thrust. Uh, but positioning the head is also important. Now, you're gonna pick up some bad habits with the mannequins because the mannequins are stiff plastic and you can have a plastic mannequin lying with its head in a neutral position, put a bag valve mask on it and ventilate it. Uh, but if you do that every time, when you get to real people and try ventilating them that way, um, no air is gonna go in their mouth. It's just gonna come out the side of the mask. It's just gonna go <laughs> Um, so you've got to get the head positioned properly. You've been taught how to do that, I think, to, you know, head tilt, chin lift. Uh, and uh, you want to do that consistently with the mannequins, not pick up any bad mannequin habits. So if you look at the, the airway in a neutral position, the head in a neutral position, the path to the trachea is almost 90 degrees, right? It comes down and goes across. And um, um, that's when they do laryngoscopy, that's, what, that's the view that they see. Uh, as a sidebar, and that's what vocal cords look like when you're actually intubating someone. But um, let's see here. Um, what you want to do to <coughs> get the airway properly positioned is ideally put them in a sniffing position, and a sniffing position means uh, neck flexed, head extended, right? Neck flexed, head. Ex- that's how we sniff. Right? We don't do it in two motions like that because you look like an idiot. But um, Uh, In order to get a patient into a sniffing position, you need to put something underneath their head, like a pillow underneath their head, and that gets their neck flexed, and then you have to extend the head, and that brings um, the airway into a 90 position. And I'll I'll come to that in a couple of slides from now. But uh, let's talk about adult versus pediatric. So uh, pediatric patients, they have um, comparatively larger tongue uh, in relation to the size of mouth. They have a floppy epiglottis, Uh, delicate teeth and gums, larynx is more superior, so up this way, so the larynx is higher,
1: right?
0: (coughs) And uh, they have a funnel-shaped larynx uh, because of an underdeveloped cricoid cartilage. So what that means is that in adults, the narrowest part of the airway is the vocal cords. In children, the narrowest part of the airway is below the vocal cords. In adults, the narrowest part of the airway is at the vocal cords in kids the narrowest part of the airways below the vocal cords in adults the is part of the airways of vocal cords <laughs> in children the narrowest part of the airways below the vocal cords so they have a funnel shaped trachea and that has implications um, in that for example a child who has a swollen airway from uh, say a croup or some other infectious process they're at much higher risk of occluding their airway from edema, from swelling, than an adult. Right? So kids with a swollen airway should scare the crap out of you. <coughs> we handle them gently. We generally leave them with mom and dad. You know, if mom's holding the kid, we don't take the kid away. We let mom hold them. We don't come close to them. We talk to mom. Usually we get the, tr- the trust of mom um, and the kid can see that, can perceive that and only then do we assess the child. But with child, uh, children with airway issues, unless they have an obstructed airway and you have to do abdominal thrust or chest thrust or something, um, unless they're at that point where they're pre-arrest or cardiac arrest, we, we stand back and uh, we never look in the airway if there's an airway issue, unless, again, as I say, it's a foreign body that we need to get out, but we don't look in the airway if they've got croup or they've got some swelling on their airway we just leave them alone and transport. But we'll go over those calls individually. Um, so, uh, sorry, so tha- yeah. Sorry, the larger tongue is in, I would assume, the adult. And like, I thought I already said the child has a lot larger tongue. Just not larger than an adult, just larger relative to the size of their mouth compared That's to sure. an adult. Yeah, yeah, no. The tongue's busier, though, in children it's non-stop unless they're a quiet kid anyone ever met a quiet kid <laughs> my daughter was a quiet kid it's funny my daughter never laughed because when she laughed it made her hiccup and uh, so she never laughed uh, until she was about four and a half and we took her to see a bear in the big blue house uh, live and uh, she laughed out loud for the first time. And my wife and I were just in shock that she sh- just started laughing. Was like, She's alive. <laughs> <laughs> She's okay. She's going to live. It was the weirdest thing. So, yeah. So here's, uh, here's what it looks like. An adult, narrowest part is vocal cords. In a child, it's funnel shape. That's a bit of an exaggerated funnel shape, but essentially, that's, that's it. Oh. OK. Um, ch- 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 so uh, here's a quiz. Uh, what's the most common cause of airway obstruction and what kind of sound does it produce? Tongue. Yeah, tongue, but specific, n- not just any tongue, right? Because I got a tongue and it's not obstructing my Unconscious. airway. Unconscious, right, or diminished consciousness, right. And what kind of sound does that produce? Uh, Not strider, but stertorous respirations. Yeah, stertorous, snoring respirations, right? Stertors. Good. Stertorous or snoring. And uh, what's the purpose of the epiglottis? To cover the trachea when swallowing. Yeah, cover the trachea when swallowing. Yeah, to prevent aspiration, right? To prevent aspiration for sure. You're gonna find, um, as people get older, sometimes they develop difficulty swallowing. It's just a slow, it's just an age thing. Um, I've had numerous calls for older people who've had pills caught in the back of their throat and they tried everything to get, get rid of them, drinking water, and uh, it's just with age over time the shape of your mouth and your hypopharynx changes and uh, some people obstruct their airways more easily than others if they've had a previous stroke they may have difficulty swallowing and their epiglottis may not be 100 percent functional and uh, so there's risk of higher risk of um, airway obstruction um, in adults um, so yeah it covers the trachea to re- redirect f- food to the esophagus pretty scary when you think about it this little floppy thing is the only thing keeping you basically from choking it goes down covers the trachea redirects food to the esophagus (coughs) don't spend too much time thinking about it or you'll freak yourself out but you know uh, trust me there are times when I swallow and I think thank you epiglottis (laughs) (laughs) thank you for that Uh, where's the vallecula? Mm-hmm. Yeah, back of the tongue, between the tongue and the, like the And the epiglottis, right? Is that pocket between the tongue and the epiglottis? Good. Space between the tongue and the epiglottis. Uh, the tracheal rings are semilunar. Uh, why is that clinically relevant? Yeah, so. Uh, Peristalsis, yeah, for sure. So, peristaltic movement of food down the esophagus. And the other reason it's clinically relevant? That's more physiologically relevant, but clinically relevant, yeah, Eli? What's that? Does it open up a bit? Uh, no, uh, think about why it's clinically relevant. Why is that a concern? Yeah. If you too large. Exactly. Yeah. If you swallow something too large it can, and it gets stuck in the esophagus, it can compress the posterior wall of the trachea, obstructing the airway. Right? So, If you swallow something, uh, in children particularly, if they swallow something too large and it gets stuck in the esophagus, it can compress the posterior wall of the trachea, obstructing the airway. Now, interestingly, as a sidebar, you carry a drug glucagon and glucagon breaks down glycogen stores into glucose so we give it to uh, hypoglycemic diabetics so diabetics with low blood sugar but glucagon also relaxes the GI tract including the esophagus and I know of one medic at one time this is how rare it is who had a kid who had an obstructed airway from something caught in the esophagus and he got an order to give glucagon and the whatever was stuck went down the esophagus. Now, whether it went down coincidentally or as a result of giving the glucagon, there's some debate. This was a medic who was a bit of a cowboy and was determined to try every drug, every procedure as often as possible. It was like a, he probably had tattoos somewhere on his body that listed the procedures he'd done. I know he's just a bit of a whack job, but um, but glucagon uh, relaxes a GI system as well. Okay, so we already talked about that. Uh, so, what are some anatomical airway differences between children and adults? So, larger tongue, comparison to mouth, floppy epiglottis, delicate teeth and gums, larynx is more superior, funnel shaped larynx, uh, and narrowest part uh, is at the cricoid ring or below the vocal cords before the age of 10. So when you have kids, when they're young, uh, you'll worry, right? Any cold, croupy problem, you worry about their airway, you worry about everything. Um, young babies and, and toddlers are obligate nose breathers, meaning they, uh, they tend to breathe through their nose and not through their mouth. And so when my daughter was about a year and a half and she had a cold, uh, you know she'd be struggling to breathe through her nose. She'd be like <laughs> like, <laughs> like this and I'm going come on sweetheart, please just open the mouth open And I d- tried to open her mouth and I took a bulb suction and I went in her nose to s- try to snuck, suck the snot out and she didn't like that. It didn't work anyway <laughs> And I'm just like, just open your mouth and I kept you know praying for the day She got old enough that she would open her mouth when she got a cold Of course, you know, you reach that age, and then, you know, when you get a cold, you never close your mouth. It's like, can you close your mouth? Oh, I can't breathe through my nose. I'm probably telling you way too much about about my daughter. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I guess that's (laughs) the end of those slides. (laughs) Uh, Any questions about uh, airway anatomy? When I put that, it usually m- means I meant to add something to the slides, but uh, never got around to it. So. More quiz questions or something.